Our lesson today is coming from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and looking at living as a soldier of Christ. And we think about what that means. We see that helmet there. We realize that's not literal, but for the Christian, we do have to have some armor on. The, the Apostle Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And one of those reasons is to be, be on guard against the, the wiles and the tools of the devil. But also as a Christian, we realize that we're going to have to suffer. That means there are going to be hard times in our life, and we're going to have to be strong enough to endure those things. And so today I want to show the encouragement that we can find from the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy about remaining faithful to God. We'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses, or really looking at many parts of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, as, as we saw there a moment ago, 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 16, as uh, Brother Dole read a moment ago, says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent and present yourself approved to God. A worker does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, but they will increase the more ungodliness. There's a reason I picked that text, because it really kind of hits the reasons why we are going to suffer, because there are going to be those who are not, who are not always going to enjoy the things we have to say. If they come from the word of God, then their problem is really with God, isn't it? But we're looking at that this morning. Ask yourself this question, is, a suffer, is suffering a part of the Christian life? Is suffering part of the Christian life? Now, if you were to ask Joel Osteen, who I try not to pick on too much, he'd probably tell you, no, you don't suffer. Send me some money, you won't suffer. But suffering is a part of the Christian life because when you look throughout the Bible, we find people suffer all the time. Uh, you know, you go back to... Uh, really, from the days of Adam and Eve moving forward, as soon as they were kicked out of the garden, the suffering began. Uh, the real suffering began as, as someone who's trying to remain faithful to God. And so the second question is, are there some, because this is mentioned here in chapter 2, and it's part of being a good soldier of Christ, and it's part of suffering. Are there some individuals who are teachers today that we should be on guard against, that we should avoid and stay away from their teachings because they are destructive. We'll begin uh, looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, looking at first this section, verses 1 through 13, looking at suffering as a soldier of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, looking at verses 1 and 2. He says, in order to cause, we have this idea how growth causes growth. Or to me, not growth causes growth. That's real good. Suffering causes growth. That's what I'm trying to say. Suffering causes growth. Looking at 2 Timothy 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things ye have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you ever heard of at preaching school anywhere, you've heard that verse because that's, on most of them, except for one that's down in Texas starting soon, they picked another one. I was kind of glad they did. But uh, this this is a verse that's used a lot for that. But you notice there he says, You therefore, my son, again, the Apostle Paul refers to Timothy as his son because he was a brother, brother in Christ, but also because he really kind of looks at Timothy as his own son, I think, in many ways. He was very, very close to him. He had a great deal of concern for him. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Be strong. Be loyal to God, right? He says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, it means the things you have heard me say in front of everybody, right? Not things that he's saying, hey, oh, by the way, have you thought about this? That's not what he's talking about. I'm convinced the Apostle Paul never said those types of things. Have you thought about this? No. The Apostle Paul, when he spoke, they came from God because he was an inspired man of God. He says, the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, those things you have heard me say publicly, and no doubt he taught privately as well. But he says, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That means that those who become teachers should be those who are faithful men, those who are loyal to God. You don't teach someone or you don't want someone who is a teacher, who's someone who is not even that loyal to God. They're not really that faithful. Don't really know that much about the Bible. You know, there are certain things you should know before you ever try to become a, a Bible class teacher. You look here in verse two. He says, "These things you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able." Notice that word "able," because there are some people who just aren't able to communicate things well. Able to teach others also, teaching people to become teachers, and they teaching people to become teachers. I don't, I'm not convinced he means that this is talking about Bible class teachers training Bible class teachers or preachers training preachers. Though that definitely does happen. But we are to train one another to be able to teach the gospel to anyone publicly where, where it fits and also privately as well. Timothy is encouraged to be strong. He's also encouraged to teach others what he has been taught. We also see here as we think about this that faith is a requirement for this type of work. Looking at verse 3 and following, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, there's the answer to our first question, isn't it? Do Christians suffer today? Yeah. Hardship? It doesn't say endure sunshine and rainbows. It doesn't say endure everybody's kind, loving compliments. He says endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting he chooses to use the word soldier there in verse 3? Soldiers are those who go into battle, aren't they? They're the ones that the bullets fly at. They're the ones who are put in constant danger. And he says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That means we also are going to find ourselves in times where the words are flying, the harsh words are flying, the, the, the rudeness, the cruelty is flying about. And he says, you must do what? Endure those types of things. Verse 4, he says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. There is a degree in which we want to know what's going on in our world, but it shouldn't be something that entangles us and prevents us from being a soldier of Christ. There's a reason why I try to limit certain things I watch when it comes to news and politics, because it's not good for us after a certain point, isn't it? We can get wrapped up in those things. And it's very easy to happen. He says that he may be pleased, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Him who who's he talking about in verse 4? He's talking about God. He is the one who is, has enlisted us as a good soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, which means if you're going to be a teacher, you have to do it the right way. You have to be one who actually knows what they're talking about. It's very discouraging. We're trying to listen and learn, and someone's just bumbling on. You can't understand what they're talking about. 
Look at verse 5. If anyone competes in athletics, he, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, which also tells us he must be teaching, and if it's a she, uh, same applies, right? According to the rules. And what is the rules? It's the Word of God. That means what we teach has to come from the Bible. We don't teach our feelings or our emotions. We teach what the Bible has here. We teach the Word of God. He says he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6 uh, says here, the hardworking uh, farmer must be, must, must be first to take of the crops. Consider what I say, may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Think about this for a second. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. If we're going to be those who are teaching the Word of God, we have to be those who are in the field, those who are teaching God's Word. Teaching not, not error, not tradition, but the Word of God. He says, consider what I say, not just verse 6, but and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. He wants Timothy to understand what he's saying, that he's going to have to teach and to preach. He needs to teach others to do the same thing and be on guard. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be hardships. Suffering and being a soldier of Christ is just a part of it. It's just part of what it means to be a New Testament Christian. Look at verse 8 and following. Find Paul says that he endures hardship as a direct uh, effect of following the truth. Looking at verses 8 and 9, he says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. He says he suffers as if he was some evil person because what? Because he is a follower of Christ. He was raised from the dead. Something he teaches, he says, according to the gospel, he says my gospel, which is the gospel of Christ. That's where it comes from. He says, for which, it is, this is why I suffer, because we just said in verse 8, trouble as an evildoer. He says, even at the point of change, which is a reference to imprisonment, he says, but the word of God is not chained. What he's saying is you can put me in prison, but the word of God is still going out. And I think also he means not just by him, but by others as well, right? Paul could be in prison. Peter's still out there. Timothy's still out there. All the other apostles are still out there. Other faithful brothers and sisters in Christ are still out there. The word of God is still going out. So Paul, he says, he says I may be in chains, but the word of God is not chained. How silly would it be to see someone try to put a Bible in a case and chain it to a wall? Would that stop its power? No. Because if we're honest, the Word of God is not bound to pages. It's not bound to one singular book in the sense that there's one Bible. No, we cannot chain the gospel. It goes beyond just one individual. It goes beyond Paul. You can say it also went beyond Christ because he's God the Father taught the gospel as well through the apostles and through, no doubt, the prophets of old as well. And so the word of God is not chained. You cannot stop the word of God is what the apostle Paul wants him to understand and for us today. You cannot stop the word of God. He says in verse 10, this was done, it was his imprisonment was done in order to obtain salvation. His, his, his enduring hardship was done so that he could obtain salvation. Therefore, endure all things for the sake of the elect. The elect is a reference to the faithful, the elect of God, those who are chosen by God, and those who are, cho who are chosen by God, who are those who obeyed the gospel. Careful now, he doesn't choose who obeys the gospel, but those who obey the gospel are the ones who have been chosen by God to be called the elect. There's a big difference. We're not chosen by God until we obey the gospel. 
Then we are chosen by God that those individuals get to have heaven as their home. God has chosen those who have obeyed to be the ones who get to go to heaven. He doesn't choose who obeys, though, that they may also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, endure these things for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the faithful, that he, he says they also may attain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why does he say that he may attain salvation? Because Paul doesn't stop in the face of fear. He's saying he couldn't stop being a faithful Christian because then he wouldn't be a faithful Christian. Then he wouldn't get to go to heaven. He couldn't stop being who he was. He couldn't stop being a follower of Christ. By choice, he did these things. And because of that, he obtained salvation, which he says is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, with glory that lasts for all eternity. We get what we endured as a faithful follower, and we get what we deserve if we deny him. You look at verses 11 and following. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. What does he mean we sh if we died with him? How does a Christian die but then live with, live with Christ? Well, we are buried with him in baptism, aren't we? Romans tells us that, that we are buried with him in baptism, but as we partake of his death, we are, in a sense, we are buried, right? And we are raised up in the midst of life. We are a new creature in Christ. Romans chapter 6 tells us that in verse 1 and following. And so thereby we, we, are, we died with him, and now we live with him, and we will live with him eternally if we remain faithful to God. We shall also live with him. He says in verse 12, if we endure, that is, that's their condition. If they endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So he's saying we get to be with Christ. We get to live with him for all eternity, so long as we remain faithful to him. But if we don't, he will deny us. That is, he will say, he's not, they're not one of ours. He's not one of mine because he's not faithful. He or she is not faithful anymore. <laughs> If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains the Son of God. He remains faithful to those who are faithful to him. He cannot deny himself. But we can definitely deny Christ and lose the hope of everything that rests in him. Next, we find some charges from Paul to Timothy in verses 14 and following. We find truth teachers and false teachers are compared. If there are false teachers, don't they have to be truth teachers? Those who really teach what the Bible says. If you look at verses 14 and 16, he says, Remind them of these things. Who's the them? Brethren, right? Because brethren can get off track sometimes, right? We get wrapped up in things. You, think, you find yourself a month later, why are we even talking about this? Why are we talking about this? Why are we spending weeks and weeks talking about how many kings, how many years? You know, we can waste a lot of time on those things. Oh, they're not important. But that's not salvation, is it? I've never, even, never read in the Bible of someone who went to hell because they didn't know who all the kings were. It wasn't sure about when someone died. No, when someone goes to hell, it's because they didn't obey God. That's why. Look at verse 14. Remind them of these things and charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. I've been in conversations before, listening to people talk about things, and I've seen people just turn around and walk away who once were interested in the gospel. And I've told them, you know what, you just lost that person. I think about that in South Carolina, I think about in other places I've been. We have to be careful what we're talking about and take, take advantage of opportunities we have. 
We have someone who's interested in the gospel. We can talk about those things we're interested in later. That should take priority, right? He says, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. There's some things that, yes, may be interesting, but when it comes to salvation, it doesn't matter. To the ruin of the hearers. If we spend too much time arguing and grumbling about things that do not have eternal consequence, we will lose people. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved. Now notice, to God. Not to everybody else. And I've, I've posted this online. It wasn't original with me. I've shared it from somewhere else. At least I think I did. But, you know, sometimes in life we have to disappoint others in order to be, approving, to be approved of by God. Because I really don't like it when you follow God. Nobody's going to like it when you follow the Word of God. So you have to deal with the fact that sometimes people aren't going to like you because of what you're doing. We have to decide, well, who do we want approval from the most? God or from someone else? Welcome verse 15, he says, To be diligent, present yourself approved to God, not the world. A worker does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So how do we, how do we make sure we avoid these things in verse 14? We, we say the word of God. We don't argue about words or, or bicker about things that have no profit. We study to, so we can be approved of to God, no one else. A worker does not need to be ashamed when they do such things, right? And he says, rightly dividing the word of truth, because when we are students of God's word, we can read the Bible, we can see what is right for us to do, what is wrong for us to do, and everything else we can know we, does not, is not important. Salvation is what we're concerned about. Because the right thing to do is to obey the gospel. The right thing to do is to worship God as he has laid out the pattern for us. The right thing to do is to teach God's word and nothing else. The right thing to do is to reach out to others. And on and on the list goes. Not to quibble about things that have no profits, he says there in verse 14. Look again in verse 16. Notice he comes back to that again. But shun profane and idle babblings. You think there was a problem with that? Words without profit, verse 14. Profane and idle babblings. Did Adam have a belly button? Who cares? How big was he? Hang on. What, what was the shape of the ark? Was it like the this or this? In reality, it doesn't matter. They all live. Those who are supposed to live, live. Those who are supposed to die, die. Be in. That's what it matters, right? God said, built it. He built it. They floated. They lived. Right? Because we spend a lot of time and not careful arguing about things that we're going to drive people away. You look at verse 16. It's interesting that Paul, way back in the time of the apostles, had the exact same problems. Stop bickering about things that do not matter, he says in verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings. Idle means they don't go anywhere, right? If you're in a car, if it's idling, you're not going anywhere, right? Arguments sometimes just don't go anywhere. He says, well, they will increase to more, now notice, ungodliness. It can lead to sin. It can lead to sin. We need to spend our time in what, it, what matters. And that is gospel truth. Looking at verse 20 and 21. Uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Look at verses 17 and 19. Get him myself. He begins warning about false teachers. And he compares them to some of these guys. We saw back here verse, verses 14 through 16. Present yourself through to God. That's the teachers of truth, right? Verse 17 and 19. Notice he mentions some people. He says, and their message is what? Talking about those in verse 16 who are... 
you know, hooked up in this shunt and this profane and idle babblings, this increasing more godliness. In verse 17, he actually named some people. Wow. He's not afraid to, to say, look, these are people who are doing these types of things. He says, and their message will spread like a cancer. Talking about those who are soaked up in this profane and idle babblings, these words without profit. He says, it will spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Pilatus are of this sort. He names, look, these are the kind of people who are doing this, and here's two examples of it. You said it today, people will get upset. We all know people like this, though, right? He says, you have strayed concerning the truth. You notice how verse 16 applies to verse 18. They have so, spent so much time on these idle babblings, and now they've actually left the truth. They're not even doing what is right. Look at verse 17, or verse rather 18 again. We have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now they're moving into what? The resurrection is already past. Now that's not an idle babbling anymore, is it? No, they're teaching false doctrine now. They're saying the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. They're saying that Christ has already come back, and that some have already been resurrected. I've seen memes of people trying to teach this same idea that Christ already come back, and that you know we missed him. We look at verse 18, that's kind of what they're talking about here. The resurrection is already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. We some of the resurrection of the dead, which happens at Christ's second coming. What are they? They are false teachers. He says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God, which you know, notice how he addresses that. Nevertheless is what it means they're wrong. He, he could have put any name there in verses 17, and it still would be wrong no matter who taught it. He could have said Peter and John, and you know what? He still say they're wrong because they're teaching false doctrine. And that's not who he says, but look at verse 19. Nevertheless, regardless of what their false teaching is, he says the solid foundation of God, which means a Bible for us today, we'd say, has not changed. Stands having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He's saying what? These men are wrong. What do we need to focus on? Saving the lost. Those who obey the gospel, those who have done what is right. The resurrection, of course, was not past, is not past. The resurrection of the dead happens at the, at the end of time, right? The judgment day when Christ returns. You know, it's interesting that Paul deals with them really just in two verses, and then he moves on. He doesn't just keep on pounding them into the dust because he recognizes what? Look, I've told you who they are. Here's your teaching. Here's what you need to do. And he keeps moving forward. Because we can end up also spending too much time talking about false teachers as well. Looking at verse 20 and 21, he says, But in a, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. We labor to be vessels of honor while false teachers are dishonorable and are not pleasing to God. You notice how he addressed that? He said they're dishonorable vessels. That's how he addressed that. They're dishonorable. Some are, are vessels of honor, some are vessels of, dis, are of dishonor and what? We want to be laboring to do what? To be vessels of honor, he says, sanctified and useful for the master. Notice he also slams him by calling them not useful, right? Because only vessels of honor are useful. So those other vessels must not be useful. Therefore, false teachers must not be useful. Ma uh, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 
Verse 22, what does he do? He moves on talking about other things as well. But he continues to arm Timothy with what he needs to do. Looking at verse 22, we find what to flee and what to pursue. In verses 22 and following, we find in verse 22, the first part of verse 22, he says, flee also youthful lusts. We'll come back to the rest of that in a moment. And then you look at verse 23, he says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. That's the third time in the same chapter he said that. Ignore what? Foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they generate strife. Flee youthful, youthful lusts, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. And then he tells us next what we are to pursue. In verse, and go back to verse 22. He says, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, Peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Peace with who? With our brethren, right? We want to be at peace with our brethren. We talked about that in our Bible class this morning. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, he says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are, who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth, and then they come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Pursue what? The lost. Flee lustful, lustful uh, things. Flee idle babblings. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, gentleness, humility, and pursue those who, who are in sin who may repent. Pursue those who are in sin. Look at verse 26. That they may come to their senses. Come to their senses. That's how he references those who have been lost in sin, those who have gone back to the world. And escape the snare or the trap of the devil and be taken captive by him to do his will. So he puts the image in our head there in verse 20, 25 through 26, how those who have, been, who have gone back to sin, gone back to the world, it's like Satan has put them in a trap or in a snare and they've been taken captive or been, t or been taken captive by him to do his will. It's almost like a kidnapping, right? But look at what he says in verse 26. Well, with respect to verse 25, humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will get them repentance so they may know the truth. God grants repentance when someone what? Truly repents, right? Verse 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil and be taken captive by him to do his will. We pursue all these righteous things in verse 22, and we pursue those who have strength in the faith. And we all recognize sometimes also some people don't like to be pursued, do they? We want to pursue them, but also we recognize, that we mentioned many times before, Paul tells us also sometimes we have to dust the, knock the dust off our feet and move on, don't we? We pursue people until they no longer want to be pursued. Sometimes it's not their words, sometimes it's their actions that tell us that. Lessons for us today, we must be ready to endure. Hardships and difficulties due to our faithfulness to God is a part of the Christian life. That's what he said in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, he said that. Endure hardship. We wouldn't have to ask whether people, do Christians endure hardships? Paul, inspired men of God, said you're going to. We also see examples of that as well. If we never have a difficult time because of our faith, have we been living as a, as a Christian before the world? I'm not saying we go out and do things to deliberately, to deliberately make people upset with us. 
But sometimes living as a Christian, people just get upset with you, don't they? And if we, have, if we were living as a Christian before the world, no one's ever got upset with us, never asked us something, got annoyed with us. Sometimes we have to wonder, am I really living like a Christian or am I living like everybody else when I leave the house? Because we have to realize sometimes living as a Christian, it's going to upset some people. Again, we don't set out to do that. But sometimes we have to ask ourselves, am I living, living like the world or living like Christ when I leave home? The Christian must be on guard. We must be on guard. Paul warns about that numerous times to Timothy in, in, chapter, in 1 Timothy and also in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. John mentions that also as we've been studying on Sunday mornings there about being on guard against false teachers, against antichrist, that is those who are just against Christ. And we find the same idea here in 2 Timothy 2 that we must be on guard. We must be teachers of truth and be on guard against false teachers. Paul mentioned two of them by name. We must be on guard against it. The Christian will pursue the right things. He will pursue, he or she will pursue peace and other righteous things while avoiding meaningless disputes and arguments that only generate strife. That's almost word for word what Paul said, wasn't it? Avoid those things that just stir everybody up. We're only stirred up by something. It should be a matter of salvation, not meaningless disputes. Are you suffering for the cause of Christ? Maybe sometimes you ask yourselves, are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to start conversations with people that may not be so pleasant? Are we pursuing truth? That is the word of God. And are we also pursuing peace with one another? That is among the brethren. Because you notice he, he talks about avoiding these things that have no profit, things that only generate strife. Because you can't be at peace among ourselves when we're just arguing and disputing things, as he says, that have no profit. So what do we want to do? We want to pursue things that bring about peace. I'm not saying we all just get along to get along. I'm saying we avoid things that just cause confusion, just cause strife. I'm not saying we don't talk about salvation because we do. Or other things as well, but there's some things, if we're honest, we're actually honest, it just does not matter. We must be those who pursue truth and peace. This morning, as you think about these things, you think about the things that Paul encouraged Timothy to do. I encouraged him to be strong. He encouraged him to remain faithful to God. He encouraged him, reminded him that he's going to have to endure hardships and persecutions. He reminded him to not be involved and entangled with the useless disputes and arguments of others because they only generate strife and have no profit. We want to take heed of those warnings and of those same things as well. We want to be those who are striving to live our life in a way that's pleasing to God. We want to be those who are striving to put God first, those who are striving to follow after righteous things and to avoid those foolish other things as well.